Communication, it's Art and Soul, Lesson 1. So you have you all have books in front of you. So what is this course about? We're not going... What is this course going to be about? Obviously, it's going to be about um, effective communication. We will uh, look into the Torah and see what the Torah says about communication. And then uh, relate it to our lives. That's... That's the basic principle of what we're going to try to achieve here this this uh, this next six weeks. Um, so it'll hopefully help us enhance our relationships, resolve uh, conflict, um, and help us have a positive influence on our families and social circles. Now, King Solomon says with regards to communication, we see text one, short one, so I'll read it myself. From the fruit of the mouth, um, a person's stomach becomes satiated. With With the produce of his lips, he is sated. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Okay? So because we're social creatures, we're social creatures, therefore... Uh, we need to be able to communicate in order to do commerce, in order to do business. That's quite straightforward, right? Um, so our financial success is not only dependent on how much education we have, it also depends on how we're able to communicate. Co-workers, superiors, clients, that's obviously extremely important. But in addition... King Solomon says, "Life and death is in the ha- is in the hands of your tongue." It's remarkable. I mean, we see it today. Where uh, was? Well, I just saw that an Israeli officer was demoted because he encouraged a soldier who said he's going to kill himself to to do so. Lucky for him, the guy the guy. Um, pulled the trigger, but the, the gun jammed, and he survived. But it was just a headline a few days ago. The officer who, who said, yeah, go kill, you know, the guy he says, I'm going to kill myself. He says, go ahead. So he, uh, the guy pulled the trigger, but it didn't, didn't work. But the guy was the motive for it. But there's actually a famous story of a, a young girl who was, who was actually imprisoned for... Uh, Encouraging her boyfriend to commit suicide. So mavas We see clearly that life and death could be in the hands of a tongue, of our tongue. Now, um, saying that, could anyone share, um, possibly, when a few words that someone said to you might have made a massive difference in your life? Or something you've said to someone else might have made a big difference in their lives? I'll share. Yeah? Hi, hi, everyone. So, <clears throat> I was actually going through a particularly difficult time in my life a couple of years ago. And just out of the blue, I had a conversation with somebody who um, shared a phrase with me. Gamze Yavor. And then actually shared the meaning behind it. So, this too shall pass. If you aren't aware of what it means, it means this too shall pass. Just a reminder that good times don't last. But also, the bittersweet side is that um, like there's good and bad, neither lasts forever. But it's, it was just very helpful at the time. Right, good. 
Okay. Also, I mean, I've encouraged some people to younger people to uh, seek out a profession and and just by my encouragement they actually went out and right. did, and became okay. one one became uh, a, a rabbi and another mm-hmm. became a doctor and later on he also became a rabbi. Okay, good. I can tell you that so here, here look at let's watch this and see this little TED video. So what does it take to live to hundred or beyond? As you will see, the answer is not what we expect. Julianne holt Lundstedt is a researcher at Brigham Young University, and she addressed this very question in a series of studies of tens of thousands of middle-aged people, and she looked at every aspect of their lifestyle, their diet, their exercise, their marital status, how often they went to the doctor, whether they smoked or drank, etc. She recorded all of this, And then she and her colleagues sat tight and waited for seven years to see who would still be breathing. Mm -hmm. And of the people left standing, what reduced their chances of dying the most? That was her question. So let's now look at her data in summary, going from the least powerful predictor to the strongest. Whether you're lean or overweight, you can stop feeling guilty about this because it's only in third place. How much exercise you get is next, still only a moderate predictor. Does anybody here know that having a flu vaccine protects you more than doing exercise? And getting towards the top predictors are two features of your social life. First, your close relationships. These are the people that you can call on for a loan if you need money suddenly who will call the doctor if you're not feeling well, or who will take you to the hospital, or who will sit with you if you're having an ex- existential crisis, if you're in despair. That, those people, that little clutch of people are a strong predictor, if you have them, of how long you'll live. And then something that surprised me, something that's called social integration. This means how much you interact with people as you move through your day. How many people do you talk to? And these mean both your weak and your strong bonds. So not just the people you're really close to who mean a lot to you, but like, do you talk to the guy who every day makes you your coffee? Um, Do you talk to the postman? Do you talk to the woman who walks by your house every day with her dog? Do you play bridge or poker or have a book club? Those interactions are one of the strongest predictors of how long you live. So we see that good communication. <laughs> um, maybe it's another meaning of what King Solomon says, that death and, and life and death are in the hands of your tongue because actually it could affect, based on this study, this modern study affects your, your, your long life. Okay. Now it's interesting, in life in general, practice makes perfect, right? So the more you drive a car, you'll be a better driver. The more you bake, you'll make better, you'll make better cakes and so on. It doesn't work that way with communication. The more you speak, you don't become better speakers. <laughs> or at least the more you communicate, you don't become a better communicator. As a matter of fact, it sometimes goes downhill. So the question is, how do we change that? So let's go to the next video, which is um, a little... Uh, demonstration of when things go wrong.
do not get along too well. Mom feels that Ryan is selfish and rude. Ryan feels that Mom is overly demanding and controlling. Here's a fairly typical interaction between the two. Ryan comes home from school, dumps his coat on the floor, puts his backpack carefully down in a proper place, and then immediately slumps into the couch with his iPad, gaming. Mom walks into the living room. Oh, you're home. What would it cost you to come and say hi to your mother? Hi. It was good of you to stow your backpack in its place. Okay. But Ryan, why don't you ever hang your coat on the rack? You're messing up the house. You are ignoring me. That's rude. Why are you jumping on me the minute I get into the house? Find someone else to pick on. Okay, that's enough. Go to your room. A while later, Ryan gets a WhatsApp message from Mom. Unfortunately, painful scenarios such as this are common. But why don't we see if we can identify exactly what went wrong and what could have been done differently? Well, we'll do that at the end of the lesson. So, the first thing for you guys to do is to actually see what gaps, you know, what do you think was wrong in this communication. So, we have exercise one, page three in your books. Um... How many communication gaps can you detect in the exchange depicted in the video? So get to writing. Mistakes, yeah. Uh, run it down. See where you go. Okay. Um, anyone want to share one or so? Sorry? There was no eye contact? No eye contact? Okay. The initial exchange was an attack. She attacked him. Okay. Okay. She was sarcastic. Sarcastic, yeah. Very good. Okay. We'll see. We'll see what, what, what we have to say about this later. Now, we'll be talking about, of course, advice on how to better our communication, have healthy communication throughout the course. But the first thing we have to do before we speak about the how, why, and when of communication is speak about the what of communication. Define communication. What, what does it mean? What is communication? You will see that it's more than just an exchange of sentences, okay? Words and sentences. Um, so I hope that at the end of the day we will be able to come up with uh, practical game-changing ideas to help us in this area. Room for a um, so now I want to give you two minutes to think of two people in your life 
Okay, think of two people in your life that you want to improve your communication channels with. Maybe you should recall a conversation you had lately with these people um, and that ended up like that video did. <laughs> okay, two people in your life that you, you need to improve communication with. Um, maybe you've had communication like in the video. So make a mental note of it. You don't want to write it down. Um, oh. Did you see it or should I shut the light? No. It's okay? You want the light on, on or off? We have a problem with communication here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. huh? The light is good, I think. The light is alright? Okay. Okay. Um, so you have two people in your mind you want to f- improve communication with? Yes? Alright. Good. Um, so, of course, we are going to turn to Torah to get the skills for communication. Now, of course, a lot of books and studies were done, basically trial and error, that teaches you different ideas and methods of communication. But uh, as I I wrote in my last email, from a Torah perspective, God created the world. He's the one that designed it in a way that regardless of the changes in the world, he gave us the, the toolbox. He gave us the code of how to interact with the world in a way that's going to be beneficial for us. Now, that is made up of two things. One is very simple. There are direct tips in the Torah. Say this, don't say that. We'll see that throughout. Not so much today, but in the coming weeks. The Torah tells us what to say and what not to say. That's from more the revealed part of Torah. But in addition to that, we also have something else. The spiritual source. What do I mean by that? If you look in the Kabbalistic aspects of the Torah, they basically tell you the source code of existence. So everything that he, that is here has a spiritual source. A spiritual DNA. If we're able to understand the spiritual source, we're able to understand its practical application to a much greater degree, and therefore we'll be able to understand the why of of the different methods that the Torah might suggest to us how to behave, because we understand what the source of what we have is. Okay, you with me? So when we talk about communication, what's the source? Um, What's the source of what's the source of human speech? Divine speech. Divine speech. Now, where do we see divine speech? So here we have um, this text number two: the ethics of our fathers. The Mishnah says, "The world was created with ten utterances." What does it mean? That God created the world with his speech. God spoke the world into existence. So, without God's speech, we wouldn't be here. For two reasons. Number one, we wouldn't exist. Number two, he wouldn't have communicated 
his Torah to us either, which is also through speech, right? They're called Aseres Hadibris. Ten, we call them the Ten Commandments, they're really ten statements. Dibra is a statement. So both the creation and Torah come about through divine speech. So the creation reveals God's creative energy and the Torah reveals God's will. As we see in text number three, and God spoke these words saying. And throughout Torah, God spoke, God spoke. Now, the obvious question is, how does God speak? He has no mouth. No physical body. How do we speak in terms of God spoke when God doesn't have any of the faculties that we do? He's not physical at all. Sorry? Yeah, so it's a metaphor. So it's obviously a metaphor. Well, I've got a question. In in most times, we feel we feel um, a voice or an intuition or something inside us telling us um, what what to do. But there was a time at Mount Sinai, I think, where God addressed the, the Jewish people and spoke to them, and they heard him. So wasn't that through? Was that internal again, or was it external? That's an excellent question. Um, There are different opinions amongst the sages of what exactly... Was it actually heard a voice, or was it that it resonated with them, that they knew it's true, kind of internally? Right, and the same thing applied at the burning bush, right? You could say that. So anyway, but that's... it's, 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 It's an aside. Okay. Because, I mean, one, one thing we know for sure, God doesn't have a mouth. That's for sure. Okay? So we say God spoke, it's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. So it's a metaphor for what? His will. So one second. So what is the spiritual process that's reflected by speech? Text number four. So, um, Mari, why don't you read text number four? English this is English? from the Alter Rebbe in Tanya. In the English, yeah. God's speech is called speech only by way of anthropomorphic illustration. Just as human speech reveals to an audience what was hidden and concealed in the speaker's thoughts, so too the emergence of divine light energy and life force from a state of concealment into revelation necessary to create worlds and to sustain them is is referred to as speech. It is this revelation of divine light and life force that comprises the ten utterances by which the world was created. The same is true for all the other words of the Torah, the prophets, and the holy writings that the prophets perceived by way of prophetic vision. So what do we have here? The one word. What is speech? Speech is? Energy. That's what we said. It is revelation. To reveal. Why do we use the term speech? Because what is speech about? What is communication? Re- to reveal. So what does it mean God spoke the world into existence? It means God revealed something that to us or to the other didn't exist. When you speak to another, you are revealing something to them. So God speaking the world into existence means now the other 
can experience something that was hidden beforehand. That's what speech represents, right? So the world is the revelation of God's creative energy, and the Torah is the revelation of God's will and wisdom, which is deeper than creative energy, but that's a separate issue. It's not for not for this this lesson. So that's how it is within God. So now let's see how this now is expressed within us, within human communication. This idea of revelation within human communication. Now let me just give you a little bit of a, a, a preface to what we're going to be reading now. Everything in the world is really made up of body and soul. However, even though angels have a body, they're really purely soul. And even though animals have a soul, their soul is hidden within their bodies. They're, they're basically fully body. So angels are soul, animals are body. What are humans? Both. We have both a body and a soul. And they actually pull in different directions. Let me ask you something. Um, who, li- who likes pets? Who likes their pets? Tell me, tell me something about your pet. <laughs> no, not I mean that. Let me see. What, what, what's special about not your pet? What's um, what? Do, what do people like about pets? Stubborn. Why would you like that? Have enough stubborn kids. What are you stubborn pet for? They love you unconditionally. Okay. Loyal. They don't lie. They don't lie. They don't lie. What you see is what you get. Beautiful. It's exactly the point. There's in a pet. Right, the, the animal is an animal. He's a body, and he's he is what he is, and that's what we that's what people love about it. There's no complication there. What you see is what you get, as exactly as you said. In a human being, there's tension. This, we're full of we're full of not only tension, we're full of contradictions. As a matter of fact, we're not just full of contradictions. You know, people who say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to put on film because I, I, I don't do X, Y, Z or whatever. I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's silly. Because it's not, we are complicated beings. We have two dimensions to us. And they're each pulling in different directions. You have the one who wants to be, um, you, between what's comfortable and what's right. We're pulled in different directions between what is uh, easy and what is meaningful. All the time. Between doing things that is beneficial for us or doing things that is beneficial for others. Constantly. We, we, we don't live in a seamless, easy, relaxed... It's not possible. It's not who we are. Unless you're a tzaddik. Which most of us are not. And even a tzaddik will always continue to have the tension. Because without the tension, there's no growth. It's the tension that creates the growth. So this tension is the representation of the fact that we're made up of body and soul. Now, what's the point of connection of body and soul? What's the, what is that which connects body and soul the most? That's what we're going to be discussing now. So there's a fascinating... Um, um, a piece of Talmud, which 
which we have uh, mentioned a number of times, and we're going to talk about one angle of it. Text 5a. Sadov, you want to read the... Fetus is taught the entire Torah as it emerges the, into the atmosphere of this world. The angel strike, strikes on, it on its mouth, uh, causing it to forget the entire Torah. Okay, so that's it says. The child in the womb is taught the entire Torah, and as it uh, comes out, ready to come into the world, an angel gives it a flick on its uh, on the top of its, its mouth, and it forgets the entire Torah. Okay, what does that mean? So, what we're going to ask today, and what are we going to answer, is why, what's the striking on the mouth? Breathing. Striking in the mouth, um, forgets the Torah. What's going on? What does this mean? So here is a, an explanation from the Maral of Prague. So, continue. Um, the, uh, uh, well, well, Sean? Uh, the explanation <coughs> of this Talmudic passage. The human being is a, is a composite of soul and body. Before the soul connects with the body, it is entirely spiritual and therefore knows all of the Torah. As the infant emerges from the womb, it, it is complete and its soul fully fuses with the body. At that moment, the child becomes a full-fledged human being, a composite of, of, of physical, yeah. physical and spiritual. And the new attachment to the physical causes the soul to forget the Torah. The verse states, God formed man from dust, from dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the soul of life, and man became a living spirit. Onkelos translates this verse, and man became an articulate spirit. For the human being... So, fascinating, right? So here God says that, God, uh, that he blew into his nostrils the soul of life, that's what it says in the Torah, and he became a living spirit. Onkelos is the first com- translator of the Torah in Roman times. It's still in the Chumash today. It's in Aramaic, but it's a translation of the Torah, and therefore, by the virtue of how you translate, you're already commenting. So it trans- he translates it, articulate spirit. That means man becoming a living spirit is someone who's able to speak. Okay, continue. Speaking for the human being, as mentioned, is a, com- a composite of soul and body, and the fusion of the two essential human components is by way of speech. As long as the fetus is in utero, it lacks the capacity of speech. The faculty of speech is the final touch. It is what makes a person human. In rabbinic parlance, the completion of the of utensil is called the final hammer blow. The angel metaphorically strikes the fetus on its mouth, installing within it the faculty of speech, connecting the body and soul, and thus completing the child. Simultaneously, the soul forgets all the Torah it had known before, but before it was fused with the body. Okay, so what's the morale saying here? He is saying that the fact that the child gets the faculty of speech is the conclusion, it's the end of the fusion. Because speech is their portal, it's the nexus, it's where body and soul become one. Because of this is quite fascinating. 
when you speak, there are four kingdoms we speak about. We speak of four kingdoms. Inanimate, vegetable, animal, and then you would say human. But in, in, in the Rambam and the Kuzri, basically in the works of Jewish philosophers, the last kingdom is called speaker. So what, how do we speak of a person? As one who communicates, as one who speaks. That's how we define a human being. He's not defined as intellectual, he's not defined as human, he's defined as a speaker. So what do you do with mute people? Okay, the answer is a mute person has the power of speech, even if they don't have the vessel in their body to express it. That's a good question, but really, I'll answer it later because it's not relevant to, to the lesson. Well, <laughs> so it's a good question, but well, I don't want to go off topic. We have the capacity for the whole time. Okay, it's, the answer is, okay, I'm, you're not going to be able to go on, I see. The answer is very simple. When you knew something and forgot it, it's easier to recall than when you never knew it. You can feel it's right because you knew it. That's right. So it's something that you're remembering something you already had. Okay. Uh, Sorry, can I just ask one question before we go on? And it may be a stupid question, but I get that you were given a Torah at Mount Sinai, but then how does this pertain to like Adam and Eve? Right? They had, they still came from the same spiritual DNA. Mm -hmm. So like, where were they on the spectrum? Did they have all the knowledge of the Torah? Yeah, the same thing. I mean, they would have it until they would would have lost it as they're created. Okay, good good, good question. So what the morale is saying is very simple. It's actually, your question is not a question according to the morale's explanation, frankly, Josh. Other ways of explaining it, all he's saying is, you have a soul. You have a body. The soul, by, very, by the very fact that it's a soul, knows the entire Torah. What does it mean that he forgets the Torah? Morale explains it, that the soul becomes one with the body then you no longer have access to that. Concealment. It, be, it becomes hidden because the body hides it. Where do we see that the soul and the body unite in the, in the concept of speech? That's the idea of him getting the flick. It means he's, he gives him his last, the last aspect of what it is to be a human is speech. Last or first. So now you're born, you are able to speak. That's that's the uh, that's what makes you human now. What does it mean to be able to speak? That your body and soul are able to communicate. Your body and soul are able to fuse. They're able to become one. That's how the morale explains it, right? So now. <clears throat> So what we're saying is, our ability for speech, according to Torah, is what defines our humanity. Oops. Okay. Sorry, I was just thinking, I know it's a little bit, when they do an ultrasound on a baby in the uterus, when they talk about swallowing fluid and things like that, but they never talk about sound. 
Yeah, okay. isn't it interesting? You know, I was just thinking that. Interesting. I, I can't... I know, but I was just thinking, you know, they never talk about uh-huh. being a weasel. Oh. You see, it's like eating flour, and you swallow your liquid, you know, it's a little bit of a Interesting. I don't... Yeah. It doesn't breathe. Well, it's probably going to be full of fluid. I know, but it's not talk. It's not talk. Okay. It's got, it's got the vibration chamber, but it doesn't breathe. Yeah, know, it, so it can't make those noises. Oh, it's, it's oxygen. It's, it's lungs are not full of oxygen. Okay, let's move along. Let's move along. So, so speech, by our words, we reveal our souls, right? Um, so angels, as we said, lack that capacity to reveal because they can't reveal their spiritual side into the physical realm. That's why, when was the last time you saw an angel? <laughs> um, but we do. We can bridge the gap. So this explains another uh, fascinating, strange piece of Talmud. So here, text number six. It's a short one. I'll do it myself. So Rava created a person and sent it to Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera spoke to it, but it did not respond. You are a creation of one of my colleagues, Rabbi Zera exclaimed. Return to your dust. So we all heard the story of a golem, right? Mm-hmm. The golem of Prague. Well, it wasn't the, Maral was not the first one to make a girl, a golem. In the Gemara, Rav made a golem. How does he make a golem? There's a book called Sefer Yitzira, the Book of Formation. In the Book of Formation, there's all kind of mystical uh, codes on how to make things. The it's the book of how to make things. It's a Kabbalistic work. Now that doesn't mean if we, I or you, picked it up, we could do it. I would, I would be very careful of uh, playing around with this kind of stuff. But great tzaddikim like the Maral of Prague or here in the Gemara Rava were able to do so. So he uses the uh, the Sefer Yitzhara and makes a perfectly constructed human being. There's no way of discerning if he's human or not. Why? Because the only way Rab Zera knew that he's not was when he spoke to him. And he didn't respond. Then he knew, oh, this is not a real person. Beforehand, he wouldn't have known. So every other way looked exactly like a normal human being. So why couldn't he program it, you know? Why couldn't he program the words into it? Why couldn't Rava place into this, this goylam that he made ability to speak as well? You know, they could like we do a GPS. Today we got it. Artificial intelligence. Right? I mean, is Sefer Yitzira missing what, what we're able to do now with the programming Siri? He couldn't give it a soul. Ah, there you go. Because he couldn't give it a soul. Only God could give souls. He could create this lump that uh, is like a human being, but it isn't a human being. It doesn't have a soul. And that's why he didn't, wasn't able to have speech. Because speech is revealing your soul. It's not just articulating words. Human speech... So what do we summarize? Human speech parallels divine speech, and therefore it's revelation. So words and sentences do not define communication. They're a medium through which we could reveal our soul. That's what communication is, okay? Now, let's throw a monkey wrench in here. So does that mean that words reveal, or do words conceal? Oh, both. both. Words can reveal and words also conceal. As a matter of fact, let's look at text number seven. 
Les? Imagine a remarkable genius, one who has studied and attained much wisdom, contracting his wisdom and thought into a single letter. Clearly, this would be an incredible contraction and an enormous descent from the great wisdom. Metaphorically speaking, precisely so, and infinitely more so, there was a great and mighty contraction when, during the six days of creation, the heavens were made by the word of God and all the hosts by the breath of his mouth. Because if all the energy and life force was unleashed, we wouldn't be in crea- we wouldn't have been able to be created. It'd be like sticking a toaster oven into a nuclear power plant. What would happen? It would it would vaporize. So creation is possible only by the fact that Hashem concealed his energy. As a matter of fact, that's one of the explanations of the Yud K Vav K. Yud K Vav K, which is the name of Hashem, Yud and a Hey, and then a Vav and a Hey. The Yud represents Tzimtzum, contraction. It's the small point of energy that the Hashem reveals into the world to bring us into existence. Then from that little small point, he develops it, which is the hay. Then he ex- extends it, which is the vav. Then he develops it again within us, which is the hay. This actually, this form of yud k vav k becomes um, the methodology of any form of, of revelation. What that tells us is it all starts with concealment because the yud is concealment. It's only a little dot. So you're concealing much of the light, much of the revelation is being hidden and being concealed. And it makes sense. If you'll, like in the Torah as well, Hashem had to conceal more than they reveal. If he would reveal at all, it would be like teaching a toddler lessons in neuroscience. He wouldn't get a thing. So if Hashem revealed it all to us, we wouldn't get it also. By the way, this also explains how the Torah developed over the years. It's not developed something new. It's that first Hashem gave us the Chomish, then the Tanakh, then the Mishnah, then the Talmud, then the Kabbalah. But if we were giving us the Kabbalah right away, it would have been like teaching a toddler neuroscience. Right? But in any event, what we have here is that it's, there's a simultaneous revelation and concealment. Okay? So, so here's the way it's explained in reading 8. Alain? Only an external dimension of one's inner being can possibly be disclosed. It's impossible to reveal one's innermost and essential thoughts and feelings to another. Therefore, speech and words are able to reveal to others because they also conceal. They conceal one's thoughts and feelings to the point that it's possible for them to be transferred Okay, so what does that tell us? So which one is it? Is it revelation or concealment? What do you think? The answer is... It's concealment for the sake of revelation. In other words, the objective is to reveal. But if I revealed everything, you wouldn't get anything. So therefore I have to conceal in order to reveal. But it's not the concept that I'm. this is an act of concealment. Could people speak and conceal? You betcha, right? People could actually say things and try to fool you, try to lie to you, or just hide what's really going on. Is that proper communication according to this? No. Proper communication is to reveal. You only conceal so that you could reveal. So we will... 
as we go along in today's lesson, we will see that there's the, the two elements of concealment and revelation. But we always have to be careful that the concealment is not there for the sake of concealment, but the concealment is there only for the sake of revelation. Okay? So we concealed for the sake of accurately and effectively revealing, our, revealing ourselves. So one of the tools of revelation is, the conce- is concealment. So we only um, reveal as much as the person or the people hearing it can process at the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. But sometimes what you do is the following. Therefore, there's a statement in the, in the, in the Torah that, or in the Talmud actually, that takes 40 years for you to fully get what your teacher wanted to communicate to you. Hmm. So what a clever teacher does is he embeds in what he teaches you depth that you will only get after 40 years. So in other words, originally you understand what he's saying. You get it superficially. But as you go along, you understand it on a deeper level and a deeper level still until you finally come to the, the greatest depth. In the Torah, Hashem revealed that Sinai it has everything. But initially, we only get it here. Then as we go along, we understand it deeper and deeper and deeper. And same thing in creation. Okay. Now, in the act of communication, a very clear expression of communication in the Torah, we have a communication between God and Moses. And so we have here text number 9. I'll read it. Um, a very short text. So, text number 9 says like this. When Moses would enter the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And God would speak with Moses. God would speak to Moses face to face. As a man would speak to his companion. So right now we have a definition of speech as being face-to-face between God and Moses and between a man and a fellow man, right? He spoke to him face-to-face like man speaks to his fellow man. What's face-to-face mean? See, here is a fascinating thing. Panim bifanim, which is translated as face-to-face, the Hebrew word of panim is very different to the English word face. Why? What's face? Like a face shi- comes from shi- facade. It's a shape. Mm. Now, face comes from the word facade. What's facade mean? It's, it's a mask. It's external. Right? It is, uh, <laughs> um, or like to put a good face on it. It's like something you're masking, something you're hiding. In Hebrew, it's the opposite. Panim means it comes from pnimiyut. Pinimiyut means your inner innerness, your innermost dimension. The face reveals who you are more than any other part of you. It's like spirit to spirit more. It's the inner part of a person being revealed to someone else. The deepest part of me, right? The deepest part of a given entity is called Pinimiyus. So Panim Vipanim implies what kind of conversation? So, so. It's it, a, a deep conversation, right? It, it implies a conversation of depth. What does it mean, the conversation of depth? Where your inner 
thoughts and feelings are being communicated. To Moses, sure. That's what the Torah is. In God's innermost feelings. Absolutely. But it also says that man speaks face to face. That means to say that true communication is revelation. Revelation of what? Of yourself. Okay? Revealing yourself. That's what communication is meant to be. Not this, okay, that's going very deep. Revealing yourself means revealing who you are. Revealing. Let me, I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, let me go off the topic for a second. Um, I gave a drasha once, and when I, I told the little anecdote. When I was a little kid, I would sit next to my father in. Um, in Shul. Now, those of you who have been to 770, the Shul is very big, right? It's a big, big hall. Huge hall. <clears throat> and there were benches, and my father would buy me a seat next to him, even from the age of six <coughs> to seven. He would buy me my own seat, and I would sit next to him. And because it's such a big hall, and but the place was packed, Shoshonim Kippur, it's packed. So the air conditioning... Would be would would be blast the air conditioning like like very powerfully. Now at the end of davening and saying Yom Kippur, we say Tehillim. But the fact is, when you said Tehillim, it was already like after the service. Probably two thirds of the shul was empty. Now the air conditioning is is working in the same in the same power, right? And I'm freezing. So my father would 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 kind of uh, take his talus and kind of embrace me with his talus. A little boy, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, and he would kind of put his talus around me and give me physical warmth. But I felt, of course, that it was giving me a much more uh, loving embrace. Right? I felt I felt I felt love and I felt um, embraced. In that in that moment, right? And I gave it as a metaphor for the sukkah is divine embrace. After telling the story, and I could see it now, the the interest in this little anecdote that is personal, where I'm revealing and how I felt as a little boy, has drawn you in, correct? Right. So why is that? Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm ex- I was I was disclosing the feelings invoked within me, right? It's so, not the same the reality is God down. Uh, so okay, um, yeah, exactly. I'm revealing myself. What does that do? That truly communicates. So when you reveal yourself, you communicate much better than if just technical stuff, right? So that's what the Torah, that's what we see here from the Torah. Pun and befun, a face-to-face communication. Inner to inner. Face-to-face is not good translation, sorry. 
because we have to use punim and punim. We have to use the Hebrew. My inner to your inner. Right? My feelings to you, that's how you communicate. That's what the definition of communication is. Because that's the objective. So when words are concealing, you might have had a conversation, but it's not real communication. So the primary purpose of communication is to facilitate relationships. But when could it facilitate relationships? Only when it's a vehicle for self-revelation. Now, one of the deepest relationships is what? Of course, spouse. And the apex of that relationship is marital intimacy. What does the Torah use as a metaphor for marital intimacy? Knowledge. Yada. As we see in text 10. Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. What does that mean? He knew? It's a... It's a metaphor for intimacy. So what's knowledge have to do with intimacy? Because a relationship is defined when both parties truly know each other. That's what a relationship is, right? So you're tuned in to the other person's joys and fears and aspirations. That's what... That's, that's what a, a marriage and relationship is meant to be. Um, and how could this happen? Only through true communication. How are you going to know what's what's in their heart when you truly communicate? So communication leads to knowledge. And true knowledge is true connection. That's why, cute, what do we call the the, the ultimate... Uh, cl- closeness, intimacy. So if you go slow, into me, right? Into me. See, <laughs> um, this explains something fascinating. What in Hebrew is a um, a person who is mute? Elaine. And what do you? How do you call a widow? Elaim is a is a widow. Widows almana, widowers and alman. See the same letters, Elaim, almana, alman. Why is that? No communication. There's no one to reveal to. There's no. There's. And what about the person that? What's the divorce? Is the Grusha, okay, it's not. Mm. <laughs> No, it's not. Um, so when a person passes away, the surviving partner is left speechless. That's what they call them, you know, alman or almana. Um, what does that mean, speechless? They could still talk to the grocer and to the, <laughs> to the policeman and to have companions and so on. But by comparison, there's no knowledge here, right? There's, it's not a deep connection. Not like the context of marriage. So that, there's a, mute, there's a muteness here in that aspect. So you can't really call it that form of communication. 
when when you lose somebody that close to you, um, a spouse or a parent or a sibling that you're very close to, in that immediate period after that, for some months, there is a, a, a rawness in a truth mm -hmm. where you are exposed and you feel totally um, <coughs> without anything hidden, no structures on you. You feel it's uh, uh, open, fair. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I, don't, I mean, I think the concept is, is quite, quite simple, quite straightforward. The person you communicated with, who you knew well, who knew you, is not no, no longer here. So you you remain mute. That's not it's, it's not very it's not very complicated. We don't have to go into the condition of a person who's. That's another story. We're not. That's not for this discussion. That's for another another lesson. How to communicate with someone who's, who's, you know, like we had on on Shuas, we had for that talk. Um, that's a different thing. The, the idea is very simple. We don't have to go. It's not. It's not a. It's not a complicated one. It's not a very deep idea. It's very straightforward. But there are other people that are close to you that you can't communicate. By not the same. Yes. That's the point. It's never the same. Because it's the deep. We just said that the deep knowledge of of, of a spouse. You, you lost that. So. Because relationships are defined by communication, the quality depends on the quality. The quality of the relationship will depend on the quality of the communication. So the deeper and more revealing, the deeper and more meaningful the relationship. Right? So... All communication is an attempt to bridge the gap between two people and create a connection. In all relationships. And so therefore, our words function as true communication, as a revelation. If we speak and don't reveal our feelings, then what? Then it's not communication. As a matter of fact, when we our words conceal rather than reveal, we do harm to the relationship. Right? As we'll see. So now, we go on to, so this was the, this will explain something that you might have heard already from modern psychology or modern way of, of speaking. But what we've done till now, really, will give you the deeper dimension to it, I think. We'll give you the why of it. So who who have you ever heard of the idea of um, I messages versus you messages? Hmm? Yeah, you've heard of the idea. Some of you have, some of you haven't. So we'll 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 go into that. But because we understand the depth the, the depth of it based on what we said till now, we'll take it a step further than what modern psychology has taken it, and we'll. Um, and we'll be able to understand it more. We'll understand the why of it more. And when you understand the why, it's not just that it works, it makes sense. Then it will be easier for you to incorporate it into your communications. So here in text number 11, hey, um, we have um, the basic principle. An effective way to talk to your partner is through I messages, statements that describe your feelings and tell how you are affected by your partner's behavior. 
Here are a few examples of the difference between I messages and you messages. So you see figure 1.2 on page 15, right? Okay, so let's go through it. You messages versus I messages. So you messages, you don't care about me, you never make time for me, you don't call or text me. And I messages, when you don't pay attention to me or call or text me, I feel disconnected and lonely. Or you don't help out in the house when I'm feeling overwhelmed and underappreciated. You spend too much. When you spend a lot, it makes me anxious and worried about our financial future. You message. You didn't finish the financial report on time. It's obviously to a worker. I mess, I'm really getting backed up in my work because I don't leave financial report. I, I, I don't have the financial report yet. So why is this important? Why is it important to have um, I messages, not you messages? Because what does I messages do based on what we said earlier? It reveals you. You're revealing yourself. Saying, this is how it makes me feel. Now, the benefit of it is just quite clear. 11b. Mark, read 11b. I messages can express emotions in a way that is not threatening as they focus on the speaker's feelings and not blaming the partner. I messages are very different from a you message. You messages place blame and judge the other person based on their behavior. You messages often trigger defensiveness or hostility from your partner and tend to increase conflict. Think about how you feel when you hear you always or you never. Okay, so let's break this down. Um, so you, what's the problem? There's several problems to the you statement. Number one, it could not be accurate. You're judging. Maybe you're wrong, right? You're t- making assumptions. Um, you don't care about me. I care very deeply about you. I mean, you don't care about me. You're, you're making an assumption. So... Um, so it may be incorrect. There's no way for you to know for certain, right? So you're reacting to what seems to have it transpired. Number one. Number two, you feel attacked. If it's true or not, you feel attacked, right? You spend too much. Uh, you don't help out in the house. You feel you feel attacked. Um, number three, it shuts down the conversation. Because what happens? What's the count? What's what's the result? You get a defensive. you get defensive, exactly. <laughs> and what do you do? Counterattack. Yeah, I do this. And what about you? Boom. That's what happens, right? So it just you, you the, the counterattack that comes in after that. Um, so basically, it causes what happens: rapid spiral downhill. And you can have verbal warfare. He could have started the whole conversation, could have been for productive, amicable conversation to sort out important issues. But because you say a you message, you turn it upside down and it goes down the wrong direction completely. And the other, the other party can go out and slam doors whether it be physical or worse, proverbial doors. Yes. 
So this is what we have here in figure 1.3. You messages are often inaccurate, consist of information, they pose an attack, shut down dialogue. Now, in the next exercise, exercise uh, number two in your book, number 18, page 18, we have the following. Um, you have convert the following you messages into productive I messages. Okay, so we'll give you the opportunity of doing so. Um, now, I have to be very careful. Saying things like, I feel that you, or I feel like you, <laughs> you're just saying, this is my opinion of you, that's not an I message. Okay? <laughs> um, well, couldn't you say, I've, I feel hurt by you? <coughs> yeah. You could say, I feel hurt. Yeah. That you could say. But saying, I feel like you are, don't care about me, that you're saying you don't care about me. Okay? That's not going to help you. But if you say, I feel hurt... I feel you care more about your work than family is not going to help. No, but if you say, uh, for, for example, uh, I feel hurt by this event that occurred or that you said this about me that it isn't what I feel is the truth or something like that? You say, I feel judged. You could say maybe, right? I feel... You're talking about yourself. Basically, you're not talking about them. You see, it's a subjective thing. You could feel. I mean, you have a right to feel as you feel. You might be wrong, but this is how I feel. Right? So let's let's try to do this together. Uh, exercise two. But then wouldn't you be saying, if you say that I feel judged... Wouldn't it be implicit that I was being feel, feeling judged by you, by that person that you communicate? Well, you might not be. No, you can see they might not be. They might not have intention to judge you, but this is how you're feeling. It's different. Okay, you're expressing how you're feeling, not what you're not giving a objective uh, perspective that this is what they're doing. Very, it's quite different. Right, you're talking about how you feel. You're not talking about what they what their intention is. So could it be correct to say if you have Okay, let's 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 try to do, work through this together and we'll, you'll get to it, okay? Let's work it through together. What do you, what do you want to say? You want a version or Yeah, yeah, good. We just something like I'm concerned for the welfare of the family because of the your um, commitment to your work. Something along those lines. Um, it's your commitment to your work. I think that's a. Uh, what about I miss you? I miss you is good. I miss you is good. Huh? I wish. I wish. We we spend more time with the family. Yeah. <laughs> we have more family time. Yeah. Something like I feel neglected. Because of the amount of time um, that you devote to your work versus your family. Okay. Yeah. 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 Or I feel lonely, right? I'm not a. I feel like I feel like I'm not an important priority in your life. Uh-huh. It's just, you're not saying you're. N- I'm not an important priority. That's how I feel. 
I would like us to do more as a family. Okay. But then it's... Okay. All right, let's go on. You just don't understand me. I feel misunderstood. Good. Next. Why are you always late? No, no, why are you always late? Well, Instead of saying why are you always well, late? Oh, I'm embarrassed. Okay. I'm embarrassed. All right. Or basically, or you yeah. could say, I, I feel anxious when you don't come home on time. Okay, you spend too much time on your smartphone and social media. It's hurting our relationship. Hmm? Or social media is taking over our lives. That's that's objective. No, but that's an objective statement. You're not. That's not a how you feel. That's a fact. You're stating a fact. When you're stating a fact, that's where you get into danger. When you state how you feel, that's where you're, you're safer ground. Life. He did say your yes. He said our life, but you're saying a fact. This is what's happening. But you could say I feel abandoned, right? When you spend so much time on your phone. Or positively, it'd make me feel connected to you if, you, if we spent more time together. Mm-hmm. Right? Could you actually say something like, I feel like the smartphone and social media is coming between us? I feel, yeah. I think you could say that, yeah. I think that's a good eye message. It's not actually blaming the person for it, but saying that that's yes. starting to dominate. Right. It's like a third force coming in. Yeah. You must study or you won't score well on your test. Hey, I got statements. Hmm? I got statements. <laughs> I know you can do better. Um, I know you yeah. can do better. It's a statement. Or you could say, I'm worried about your scores. Mm-hmm. Or even better, it would make me so happy if you would, if you, if you would uh, be more, you know, to see you successful. Imagine what that would do, right? Yeah. It would make me so happy if you would be so successful. How could they kind of disappoint you then? Who <laughs> says, you must study. Hmm. <laughs> Straight to the iPad. <laughs> um, you're so insensitive, you just don't care. You don't love me. How would, what would be an iMessage here? I feel unloved, maybe, yeah. I feel the need to be taken care of more. You have to, <laughs> ought to, are supposed to, would be changed to. I wish. I wish, I would like, yeah. I would feel supported, be happy if. <coughs> okay. So, this is basic new... Um, ideas in, in uh, psychology today. But based on what we learned till now, it's not only that you messages maybe are um, are more damaging and I messages are more are, are, are more advantageous. But basically the I message is revealing your essence. So it, it creates closeness, right? And force this, force this connection. 
So eye messages reveal personal feelings and why we feel that way, right? So it engenders trust and intimacy. That's what it does. It, it, it brings you closer to each other when you have this uh, this eye message. Um, so, and that will cause them to respond in kind. Right. Well, I'm talking about revelation, but yeah, that's part. I guess that's part of it. Um, now, this is true when it isn't a difficult conversation. This is where uniqueness come, of this idea comes in. Based on what we said till now, okay, when is this important? When it's kind of a difficult issue, right? When you want to complain, <laughs> you're saying something critical, etc., then you want to use iMessages. But based on, based on our point, which the iMessage, because communication is meant to be a revelation of self, so even if it's not... Um, uh, a difficult conversation. We still, you should use the iMessage, right? So that's why I'm figured 1.4. You can have emotionally neutral messages, like you are a wonderful spouse, son, daughter. What's wrong with that? Sounds good. But what would be better? Saying I love you, or you are so kind. I am overwhelmed by your kindness. How you feel? Not just objectively. This is what you are. This is what may, how it makes me feel. Or you did an amazing job. I'm bursting with pride and joy. But See the difference? Counter, like, I mean, depends on your background. But some people will find that like a, a turn-off. It's just over the top to, to express it. Yeah, because way. depends. Depends. Um, so, sh- I mean, with you obviously depends how close the person is to you. But uh, sure, if, if someone's going to do something minor and you make this whole emotional um, uh, response because of it, you know what? No. No one minds it at the end of the day. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Other people might look at it and see, like, oh, that's kind of strange. But between the two of you, it'll be okay. I've seen, I see, I've seen couples who are like that. And, it's quite appreciated by the other, even if other people look at it a little bit over the top. Um, yeah. So, okay. So let's go to exercise three. Fill in the corresponding emotional... Exp- uh, very powerful, Rabbi. It really is very powerful because a lot of relationships founder... Because when when people say you statements, they as you say they're not revealing they're not revealing themselves. You 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 end up with this men from Mars and women from Venus thing where they never connect. Mm-hmm. They're just going and mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. Whereas in this case, each one is t- touching bases with the other mm-hmm. and they are actually connecting. Yeah. It's Absolutely. Like, yes. So fill in the corresponding emotional expressive messages. So we have here. I'm sorry for your terrible loss. Okay. What would be a a, a, a I message here? Perfect. My heart's breaking for you. Exactly. You see the difference? 
Um, the flowers you bought for me are stunning. How would you do a uh, I message? I love the flowers. I love the flowers. It touched me, right? Your 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 gesture touched me. Your thoughtfulness touched me. Again, um, please don't go to. It's not a safe place. I'm terrified of what might happen to you there. Perfect. It's a great idea to go to. Parv, right? I encourage you. I encourage you or emotion. I'm excited. Right? I'm excited to go to. We're obviously going together. Mm. Right? We're going together. It's a great idea to go to this, but I'm excited. Just excited. Emotion. Um, it was so special of you too. What you did really touched me. I feel loved or valued. Now, where do we see, in, by the way, in the Torah? I'll show you some eye messages in the Tanakh, okay? So one eye message is here. Yehuda comes to Yosef. Listen to this conversation, right? Yosef takes Binyamin. Remember the story? Yosef takes Binyamin, and now Binyamin is his prisoner, and Yehuda has to try to get him released. What does Yehuda say? And Yehuda approached Yosef and said, Please, my master, uh, your servant now will say something that my master will listen to, so please don't be angry at your servant, for you are as important as Pharaoh. My master integrated servant saying, Have you a father or brother? We said to my master, Okay, go through this. Um, he said to Yosef, Bring him down to me. So I can say, we said to the master, The boy cannot leave. Okay. Um, then we went, when we went to your servant, my father, we told him the words of our master. Father said, go back and get this food. We said, we can't go. Um, okay, this is the end is, is really where, where it's at. Um, so if, I, if I'll come back, if I'll come back now to your servant, my father, and the boy isn't with us, his soul is attached to the boy's soul. He'll simply die. When they'll see that the boy is gone. Then your servants will have brought the old age of your servant, the father, to, gra- to, to, grave, to the grave in grief. Now your servant assumes responsibility for the boy, from my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, I will have sinned to you, against you forever. So now please let your servant stay as a slave to your master instead of the boy, and let the boy go back to his brothers. For how will I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? To see the misery that my father would suffer. He's talking about himself. He's not saying, how dare you take him? It's not right. Blah, 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 blah. He doesn't say that. He speaks about himself. How can I go back to my father and the boy is not with me? I made a commitment and now I'm not going to bring him back. And I'll see the the terrible things that happened to my father. It's all about himself. I will see what happened to my father. We would have done something terrible to my father. Don't say Yasef did. And that's when Yasef gave the kid back. Right? Then, sorry? Couldn't that come across as self-centered? No, because it's 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 that's that's not how it comes across, really. It's um, it's a revealing yourself to to another. There's a, there's a I guess there's a line. If it's all about me, yes, then it becomes self-centered. But in most cases, you won't see this as self-centered. Most especially intimate relationships. Or even not. Um, 
I really appreciate what you've done for me is better than just saying thank you. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me happy. I don't think, you don't see self-centeredness there. Can I just ask in terms of actions versus words? Because I, I, I read last week an article that said emo- uh, love is not an emotion, it's a verb. Mm-hmm. And so how, how does uh, actions, how do actions, because I'm sure actions, are, are, are they sort of, do they support words? So words, words are, there, we, we, there are three um, garments of the soul. Okay, there is thought, speech, action. Thought, soul, actions, body, speech is in between. Okay, uh, there's more to speak about this, but I won't. I won't get to the to the end. The other, the story of King David at his end of his life. So, so the there's another one of his sons, Adinuyahu, decides to become king because he figures he's the next oldest after whatever's left, and he's going to be king. Whilst David's still alive, right? So the prophet Nasan tells Bathsheba that David pop go to him and tell him he promised that Solomon should be the king. So Bathsheba goes to David. Um, and says, Look, you don't know about this, but the Neo has has make has become king. And then and, and the, all the people are looking at you, that's a wee message. Looking to you to say who's going to be at your, on your throne, um, and she ends off saying that when you pass away, then me and my son Solomon will be deprived. So she speaks about her and her son Solomon again. Doesn't she doesn't actually do what Nussan says? You told us, you promised us, you better make sure. She says, well, this is how we feel. Okay, let's move along. Now, let's talk about electronic communications. Um, so. Before we spoke about face-to-face communication, right? Um, right, as a man would speak to a companion. So how else would you speak if not face-to-face, right? What does it mean? Face-to-face, not to be email, text message. What is it? <laughs> um, the story of a guy. A guy sees a someone standing with his phone and shoulder and davening. He says, "What's this?" He's an older guy, doesn't, you know, he's not that technology savvy. So the youngster says, I downloaded the sitter and I'm davening from it. He says, well, why don't you just highlight it and press send? (laughs) 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 So, today's day and age, there's no question, face-to-face communication has taken a massive hit, right? We have all sorts of electronic alternatives. Um, now, there's advantages and disadvantages to that, right? So, the written word is nothing. The written word is nothing new, right? They used to use a chisel and uh, writing, etc., and typing to disseminate information. Um, but of course, today it's become the dominant form of communication. That'd be correct. So let's look at the advantages and disadvantages of each of these forms of communication. You have exercise four. You have face-to-face communication, advantage-disadvantage, texting, instant messaging, and traditional written correspondence. So, we'll go through this quickly because it's, it's light. The, the, the advantage of face-to-face communication. 
So we have a text here from the Gemara. Um, Josh, read the text 12. Rabbi said, the reason that I am sharper than my colleagues is that I saw Rabbi Meir from behind him. And I see him from the front, I would be even sharper, as it is written. Okay, so they're sitting in front of him, most of it, and his colleagues, and Rebbe, the one who wrote the mission, is sitting behind Rameir. Rameir is obviously uh, the genius of the generation, and in brilliance, and is legendary for his erudition, and uh, Rebbe is sitting behind him listening to his lectures, right? So he says like this, other students are only hearing hearsay, or from his writings. I was there, I heard him. But I would be even better off if I would be in front of him where I would see him whilst he was ta- teaching. So why is that? Because there's a lot that could be gained from visual cues, right? This body language, the movements of the eyes and the lips. Um, the eyes are windows to the soul. You communicate, when you communicate face to face, it's not the words you're saying only. There's a lot going on besides the words. And um, you, when you're expressing thoughts and feelings can't adequately be articulated in words without the body language. That's why the phone even, far superior to a text message, but still not like a face-to-face meeting, like a face-to-face discussion. You, you cut out a lot, of the, a lot of what's going on in the, in the conversation when it's only over the phone. Today I say halavai phone, because <laughs> it's a lot better than the other forms of communication, at least when you're communicating emotional things. Um, so number one then at least he heard the lectures right um, what's the value of the hearing it so we have here text number 13 Beatrice Okay, so this is basically the tone, the tone of the voice, right? Um, so the premise of this lesson is the communication is revelation. Dry words are only one of the means of communication, right? Um, that you could reveal. You could reveal a lot more with body language and tone. So face-to-face is the superior to a phone conversation, as I said. And a phone conversation is superior to the written word. So that's why we often inappropriately prefer texting or email over face-to-face. Why? Why? To hide. It's easier to hide. When you're texting, you're hiding a lot. It's harder. Okay, true. Yeah, true. But some people prefer... Yeah, we're going to talk about the value of texting. There's a value. It's not totally bad. 
But when you're revealing your emotions through texts, then you're hiding more than you're revealing. We spoke about earlier, right? About hiding. Communication is about revealing, not about hiding. When you do it in the text, there's a lot that you're hiding. So let, let's see as, a, as a, you know, the psychologist saying, speak in number 14. Michelle. Alright, because it's like we just said. Okay, now, um, there is advantages to the written communication. Let's think about it. Let's start. Books, letters, essays. Um, if, first of all, you know, people don't live next to you. So, exactly what, what uh, Les said. Professor Schreiber said, right? If people are not near you, you have to be able to send them a letter. You can't talk to them necessarily. Um, also, the written word articulates an idea quite deeply sometimes, right? That's why it's much more, it's much more difficult to, for me, it would be, it's much more difficult to write something than to speak. You uh, spend a lot more time putting it together, you much more thought, you could go over each individual word to make sure it was appropriate. Exactly. Yeah. Let's see what the Mittler Rebbe says about this. Text number 15. Michelle. To accurately commit to writing ideas that one has conceived requires a great deal of effort and exertion. Even if one has developed and grasped an idea, expressing it by the written word demands deeper thought and greater scrutiny of the idea. Writing entails repeated drafts, erasing and revising until the idea is properly elucidated without having strayed from the point. Go on. Much less effort is needed, on the other hand, to verbally articulate and expand a common idea. Why is this so? The written word is highly defined and delineated, more so than the articulated word. The more an idea is defined, the less it can tolerate any idea that is even slightly inconsistent with its message. Therefore, more thought and effort must be invested in writing to ensure that the message is precise and unclouded by anything that might detract from it. The written word is thus the purest and truest, truest form of expression, with no extraneous or missing details. However, when we're writing text, that's not the kind of... We're not putting in this time and effort and thought in the text that we're writing, right? Well, right? Uh, so we don't live up to this level of scrutiny when we write today in our text. Maybe, you know, when you write a book or you write an article. Um, so an author has to crystallize his ideas or feelings, right? Capture the essence of things. Um, each word is a brick. Every sentence is a layer of bricks. Every paragraph is another floor. A great writer has a great skill. Um that's entirely different than, than someone who speaks, right? Um, so, hopefully, someone who's writing has a clear methodical presentation. 
of the originally chaotic blur that was swimming in the author's brain. Right? So, what you have from writing is... Um, what's great about writing? So you have revelation and words. Precision. Right? So, writing gives you clarity and precision. So, contracts, of course, are written. Instructions should be written. Um, but electronic communication is not this. Not at all, right? Um, so you put in less thought in electronic communication. And so we often use the most precise form of communication without an iota of precision. It's okay to send text with spelling mistakes, you know? For example, it's like that's how far it's gotten. So it's the exact opposite of how the written word should be, should be written. So, anything that is a human, of a human nature, right? If you, let's say an emotion, care, love, frustration, or something intellectually deep, should not be in a text. Right? Or an I am. Because texting doesn't reveal. Write it properly or say it. Now, electronic communication is a great gift. For what? To use it properly. Like, what, what is the, how to use it properly? Well, um, practical. I'll meet you at four o'clock. That, that's great. The text is great for that. The address is XYZ. <laughs> great. Um, when you want to send it to a group of people, please pick up tomatoes on the way home from work. Um, multiple people as we just said and you could so let everyone know that uh, Minya will be at 6.30 tomorrow morning um, another thing about it's a reference point you put in a text you can always go back what's the address again go back to your text oh yeah okay what time again? And so on. So for those things, it's great. Um, and it's also a good supplement for face-to-face communication. So if you spoke about something, um, you, let's say your spouse went out the house, in the morning you had a face-to-face communication, you say, I love you, and in the middle of the day you sent them a text still thinking of you. So it's supplementing. That shouldn't be the... the you know the only form of the of the emotional communication. You had the emotional communication earlier, and this is now supplementing it. That's when it's it's um, beneficial. Um, so we sum up here in chart number one point five. One five, which uh, sums up many of the pros and cons of each form of communication. So. So face-to-face communication advantages is ultimate revelation, right? You get the visual cues, you get the tonal cues. Um, when do you use it? For personal, expressive communication. Examples, teaching, conflict resolution, intimate conversation, friendly conversation, all that's face-to-face communication. 
written communication. When you want precision or documentation, you can give deep communication through the written word or detailed communication. And examples, legal documents, thesis, notes meant on as, as keepsakes. Electronic communication is efficient effic- efficiency. Use of dry communication supplements face-to-face communication, scheduling a meeting, appointment reminder, and endearing messages. Okay, this is... Uh, um, so I'd like to ask you, take out your phones, look at your last ten texts. Do they fit into these? Uh, <laughs> are they these communications, or did you send some of the uh, more emotional stuff that should have gone in a, in a different form? Supplement is okay. Huh? I wouldn't have a, ne- a supplement of a positive. I wouldn't have a negative in a text. You learn a lesson the hard way that don't ever write, don't ever put in a text something you're not going to be happy with. It's there, it's written. It's, words you might say, I didn't say. They're gone. It's, it's a... Be very careful. We didn't speak about that, but that's another reason. That's another reason why not to put it in text. No, you can't once it's gone directly. It's there. You, you, can't, you can't erase it. It's gone. A WhatsApp, you could erase for five minutes, I think, now. You can't? Anyway, what's... So... So anyway, look at your... As I said, look at your phones and see if all your texts were of these forms or, or were they of the other sorts. And then... Maybe change it in the future. Okay. So now let's see the lesson video. How to do it better. Do you remember Ryan and his mom from our earlier video? We eavesdropped on a rather bitter exchange between the two of them. But thankfully, we have the luxury of going back in time and installing the insights that we have gleaned from this lesson such as using I sentences instead of you, and employing emotionally expressive phraseology. Ryan comes home from school, dumps his coat on the floor, puts his backpack carefully down in a proper place, and then immediately slumps into the couch with his iPad, gaming. Mum walks into the living room. Oh, you're home. I get so worried when the clock hits 4.30 and I haven't heard you come in. Sorry, Mom. I'll yell hi next time so you know I'm back. I'd love that. Listen, Ryan, I really appreciate you putting your bag in its place. Do you think you could give your coat the same royal treatment? My coat? Oh, yeah, no problem. I'm impressed. You took care of that right away. I'll interrupt you again for supper in about 15 minutes. Sure thing, Mom. You're the best. Thank you, Ryan. I love you, too. <laughs> okay. Um, so, let's, con- let's conclude. The uh, effective communication has to reveal more, more than it conceals, right? Concealment is there for the sake of revelation to the extent the extent that it requires concealment in order to have the revelation. And we implied it, number one, that words should be a vehicle for our feelings, and not to camouflage our feelings, 
and we need to be careful with how we use our com- uh, electronic communication. Okay, now, we spoke about earlier in the lesson, the beginning of the lesson, I asked you to think about two people who you could use a, a better way of communicating with, right? So now, can you use the tools that we learned today with those two people that we spoke about um, for those to have a better communication? Now we'll have... Uh, um, yep. And homework. So, if you're in a relationship that could benefit from communication that is more self-revealing. So, what small step can you do, take, to do so? Think about that this week. What small things can you do to communicate differently with those two people we spoke about? Um, and is there a relationship that would benefit from more face-to-face communication rather than text or even phone or whatever? See if there's a relationship that could use a face-to-face communication. Okay, next week we're going to speak of the art of listening. Good communication means to be able to listen properly. And we'll go through the Torah's perspective on that from the Talmud. Um, provide valuable listening insights and skills. And we conclude with a summary. Lesson one, revealing words. One, God's speech. The ten utterances (coughs) with which he created the world and the Ten Commandments is called speech and